Welcome back to the 214th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including how some Davos elites actually said that Trump being president wouldn't be the end of the world, how lawmakers are trying to come after a, a certain person at John Hopkins for his Uh, I don't want to say controversial, but uh, less than stellar language about certain relations on campus and the VP picks for President Trump as our last article. And of course, we'll end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So Davos is going on right now. And if you listen to certain ecosystems, uh, mainly the online ecosystem, the non-MSNBC ecosystem, you'll have one or two people that are really trying to call it out, talk about what's happening, happening at Davos, making fun of the elites joining all of each other and saying... Oh, look at us. We are so special. That's my uh, Charles Schwab, by the way. And I just need to ask, who cares? I'm not saying that it's not important to listen to what's going on there because they do have a consortium of really important people who are going to try to direct the world in a very specific direction. But who cares? I mean, who's really sitting there? Are you sitting there and paying attention to it? Are you sitting there and saying, oh, yes, I need to watch the Davos Forum on climate change. Like, no one no one cares. And that is the thing. They kind of exist in their own world, and they can say whatever they want to say, and all the thought leaders are going to you know, listen in and care, and the normal people are just going to say, Davos, what? But I want to know. Are you sitting there and caring about it or not? Are you just a normal person going about your day? Or is it just us politicos that are sitting there wondering what these people are saying and how they're setting the agenda for the future? So let's jump to our first article that comes from Crooks and Liars. Davos regular Diamond expresses support for Trump re-election. And sorry, not Diamond, Diamond. So for those who don't know, and I outlined it a little bit at the beginning, Davos is happening right now. It is where all of the elite players, whether it be the big corporations, the heads of government, all these influential people around the world, uh, some of the largest activists, they go and have dialogues about what they see as key issues going into the future for humanity. And it's not looked at on a national scale, on a personal scale. It's looked at on a global scale. So when you hear talk of the global elite getting together and you know conspiring, uh, well, they're kind of just doing it out in the open at Davos. That's kind of the criticism of it. And last year I did some articles about Greta Thunberg while she was there, some of the other talking points they were talking about. And this year I kind of let it let it go because I, I didn't find anything interesting. We had the Iowa caucuses and all that going on and all the election talk. I thought that was honestly more important to the average American than the Davos. But this one is directly about comments about the current primary, about the upcoming 2024 election. And also, no offense to crooks and liars, but their bias is showing. I used to make this line every once in a while, and I thought I was going to make it more more often when I was going through and doing these podcasts, which was going to be, your bias is showing. I don't know why I thought it was clever, but I did. And it's because of moments exactly like this that I do want to kind of bring it back, because their bias is showing. They obviously hate Donald Trump so much 
that they cannot see why anybody would be okay with him. And then when they do finally admit, oh, we know, okay, actually, I do understand why these uh, elites are going for him, because he cut their taxes. Yes, he cut their taxes. Of course they're going to vote for him. It's for their own financial interest. You want to pretend that everybody can have the same view as you, where you put aside your own individual wants and needs for something larger than yourself, and that larger than yourself, that idea of larger than yourself, isn't something that is morally righteous, like a religion uh, that teaches you the right way to go throughout the earth, or activism for the sake of underrepresented people. And what I mean by that is not what we do politically, where it's like, ah, oh, I'm representing the underrepresented minorities in our country. No, I mean the people who don't have any political voice on the world stage, like in Africa, Botswana, um, in different places, in Asian countries, these sort of activisms where you're truly fighting for a moral right, not a political ideology. And so on and so forth. You you can see that they are people, these crooks and liars writers. They are people who have a very specific worldview that does not align with these other people, and they are outright criticizing them for it. Now, they're totally within the right to do it. I'm just going to point out where I think their worldview falls apart a little bit and where I think, let's be clear, Trump, take him or leave him. You're either going to love him or hate him. And there are plenty of reasons to hate him. And there are also plenty of reasons to love him. So we're going to try to break it down. We're going to try to point out where they're coming from, where they're right, and where they're wrong. So I want to read a quick paragraph from them. Quote, the global special interests, they partner with these people that don't have your good in mind. So that's their opening quote, basically. And they're talking specifically here about Donald Trump. Quote, that's one of the rare promises that Donald Trump absolutely kept in 2017. He signed a $1.5 trillion tax cut bill, largely for the rich and corporations. It was hands down the largest and least popular piece of legislation he ever signed and his most important, a plan that gave lots of breaks to the rich, to corporations, and didn't stimulate the economy. It also, and people forgot this, it gave Trump his lowest approval ratings under the Capitol insurrection. So, until the Capitol insurrection. So, what they're going for here is, okay, hey, Trump is using the same narrative again. He's saying that he's going to cut your taxes. And why do they have a problem with that? Because they clearly quote here, or at least bring up this quote for a reason, it was for, it really helped the most the rich people and the corporations, and they feel as though it didn't work for everybody. Now, let me let me take a step back. Let me let me ask you a very simple question, rhetoric wise. If you tell people that they are going to have to pay less money for something, then are they happier or are they going to be sad? Uh, maybe if they're a really charitable person and they're at a a thrift store where every single cent goes back to their community and they want to write it off and they want to do this because it's out of the good of their heart, maybe they'll be mad that you're not charging them a little bit more. But <laughs> for the most part, they're going to be happy that you are charging them less money. And you're saying, well, it's different. They're charging money versus their social duty. No, but basically, if you really want to boil it down, the government taking money from you and you paying your taxes is an exchange for services. 
you pay your taxes so that the government can facilitate trade, so it can facilitate your driving from work. It can facilitate all the different infrastructure that you need in order to get from place to place and also to protect you from other people hurting that infrastructure and providing a rules-based system that protects you from different bad actors who may break the law, who may break your individual uh, sovereignty or try to change and affect your natural rights. That is the point of government. So if you tell people that, hey, you're going to have to pay less for this government that's going to still protect your basic rights, they're going to be happy. Now, if you try to be honest with them and say, we're going to cut your taxes, but that also means in order to have a balanced budget and not run up the deficit, we're going to have to cut programs. That's a different situation. But that's not what Crooks and Liars is trying to get at here. They're just saying that cutting taxes on everybody, I'm not saying necessarily equally, but on everybody, and then giving the rich and the corporations a tax break is not a good thing. They inherently believe that the money from the top of the system, from the largest portions of the system, needs to be redistributed, needs to be taken from them, and given to the lower half of the system. And whether you agree or not, that is their worldview. That is where they're coming from. That's why you can tell what they're doing here and how they're talking about it. And then when they lambast the different executives, I'll actually read some of the quotes that they have from the executives. Quote, one prominent U.S. business executive who asked not to be named said a Trump victory would not be the end of the world. Uh, quote, another U.S. bank CEO privately told CB CNBC that Trump is, quote, all bark, no bite. The bank chief had then added, he's going to win the presidency. Many of his policies were right, is another person anonymously, anonymously named. The point that Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, had no trouble making on record, quote, he's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. Tax reform worked. And he was right about some of China. So, they're lambasting all of these people saying these these elites are all for Trump's tax cuts. They're all for getting more monies in their pocket, which once again, getting more money in their pocket and their corporation's pocket so it can do more things. It can justify its existence to its shareholders. Yes, that is its purpose. The a company does not. There's a direct tension in worldviews here. Sorry that I kind of got frustrated. There's one worldview says that these corporations, people, the government, all of them, they exist to aid the society, to keep the society thriving. And the only way to do that is to limit inequality, is to bring everybody up, to allow society to lift everyone up to not necessarily the same level, but to a point in which they thrive and there is no poverty, there is no sadness, there is no terrible, terrible things that come along with not having the money to sustain yourself. There's not homeless people, so on and so forth. So when they see a government facilitating a society, they because the government does facilitate society. Let's be clear. Government is born out of society, but as society gets larger, government is there to facilitate that society. And what I mean by that is not to mandate what a society can do, but as I mentioned earlier, to protect every single person's rights in that society from the government itself and also from other people and to do that internally with different system, legal systems, laws, and so on and so forth, and judicial bodies to adjudicate those laws, and then from external threats. 
That is how society is born out. They are, the people who have this worldview, are also heaping an extra thing on there, which is it is the government's job to facilitate a equal society, a society where the richest have to contribute to the poorest among us. The richest have to give up what they have worked for, and it is their responsibility, along with the corporate responsibility, in order to disperse as much of their profits as they can to everybody, whether that be in the form of actually just lowering their prices so they actually don't make any more profits. They, you know, they have a basically a break-even, and they can provide everything at the lowest possible rate so then everybody can have cheap access to these goods, or having high taxes in order to take those profits and redistribute them to the people. That is their coherent worldview about what society should be. Now, if you look at Trump's worldview or people on his side of the aisle, why is cutting taxes, and let's be clear, whether you agree or not that cutting taxes needs to come with cutting different programs, why is cutting taxes a a good thing? Why is that more important than redistributing the taxes from the top? Because it enables everybody to have more money to spend as they wish. So, If you, and you may be thinking, why does that matter? So if you take $100 from somebody out of their $1,000, you're taking one-tenth of their income in taxes. Now you cut it in half. You're taking $50. What does that extra $50 go to? It could go to improving their house so that they could raise their equity and they can make their house more valuable. It could go to buying food for their kids, buying new supplies for their kids, that new calculator their kid really needs so they keep going on in math. It could be put down for a uh, really cheap pencil that they need to facilitate their job. Or it could be put into a one-time training that they may need for work. By actually cutting the amount of money that the government is taking from them, you are giving back, the you are essentially giving back to the people more money to do with as they please. And then the people who are responsible within the society, the people who have the wherewithal in order to look towards the future and not try to satisfy their immediate needs, but work towards something, can properly use that money in order to invest in themselves, in order to become more wealthy, in order to build a business, whatever it may be. And then for the other people, they still have the freedom to do with that money which they please, And if they want to satiate their immediate needs, there you go. They buy that extra bread that they really need that one specific week. Great. Good for them. Because in this system, in this worldview, choice is the ultimate ends. And Sorry, is the ultimate means. And they're not trying to reach a place where the ends are exactly the same, where everybody is on the same level, where everybody is contributing to an equal society. In this worldview... It is an equal society in the ways that the laws are administered, just like the other society, but the outcome will not be equalized. The people that can actually use that money productively are going to use that money productively, and that's what corporations can do. That corporation, if they're, let's say that they're 
paying $100,000 in taxes and now they're only paying $50,000 in taxes, that extra $50,000 could go to R&D, even though that example isn't necessarily the best. That one does fall flat on its face sometimes because they don't necessarily spend money in R&D the correct way to make a new product. But one that's actually going to affect the customer and has real-world bearouts is they use that $50,000 to improve their supply chain, which makes it easier for products to get from one place to another, makes it faster, therefore less labor, therefore cheaper for the uh, customer when they're going to the store and they're buying that product. So you can see here that it is just enabling people when you're cutting taxes, you're enabling people to use their productive means, use their intelligence, use their wherewithal, use their uh, strength of character in order to improve themselves with that extra money rather than taking money from the top and giving it to everybody else. And that, what they're saying there is, yes, you you may be more productive, and that's why you're able to make more profit, but you're more productive on the backs of other people. It is not solely your own initiative. It is not solely your own uh, will, intelligence, smarts uh, when it comes to business interactions, your cunning, if you want to put it that way, your shrewdness. No, you're built on the back of the rest of society, therefore you have to give back to society. In the other view, like I was mentioning where they cut taxes, no, the individual is king. The individual is the one that builds up society versus society that sustains the individual in the other worldview. And you may be saying, Alex, why why did you go on such a long rant for that? Why did that matter so much? Because these are the two worldviews that have always been in tension ever since humankind, humanity, has created societies. Does the individual serve to the benefit of the society or does the society serve to the benefit of the individual? And let's be clear. I think there's an interesting mix there. I think that you have to preserve, this is my personal opinion, so you can take whatever you want from it, you have to preserve the individual so that he can serve society the best he can, but it is not his imperative only to serve the society, and it is not society's imperative only to serve him. You understand where I'm coming from with that? I'm not trying to make a a middle ground there. I do believe the individual is more important, but also by facilitating that individuality, one would hope that they are able to best help society with their individual efforts rather than being someone forced to help society in a way that would be necessarily less productive. That's basically a free market version of society mechanics. And, you know, I'm really far off base here. Uh, I'm kind of talking out of my butt. But I hope you understand where I'm coming from, and I hope you understand why I brought this article up in particular. Because whether or not you like Donald Trump, you should at least be able to see the reasons why somebody else would vote for him. I don't necessarily like Trump. I don't necessarily like Biden. But I can see why people would vote for Trump, and I can see why people would vote for Biden. I don't agree with all of their reasons, but I can at least understand their thinking. And that is essential. Sometimes you really can't understand someone's thinking. You can't put yourself in their shoes. But very often, we need to do this. You need to have a deep understanding of the other person's perspective, not only so you can combat it, but also so that you can have a conversation with them and identify where that middle ground is and where you're willing to compromise in order to reach a mutually beneficial solution. Because that is what society and government is all about. 
it is me, the individual, sacrificing something I want or the whole thing that I want for part of what I want and somebody else sacrificing something that they want for my sake in order to come together. That, that is what society is. As individuals, we give up certain protections, certain liberties in order to be a part of society. You know, if I want to go around and I want to scream, you're a B-word at everybody, I could do that. I, I can. But I will be ostracized from society because that is not kind and polite. There are certain rules to operating within these systems that we have created as human beings. And to violate them is to possibly ostracize oneself. So you have to meet in the middle. You have to give up certain things. Yes, we should still prize the individual. And that means that that person still can do those things. But that doesn't mean that everybody around them in the society has to like it. That doesn't mean everybody in the society has to give them the time of day, doesn't have to give them the money, has to provide them with all the niceties. But they are protected in doing so. And that is what society is. It is a system that protects the individual while also acknowledging there is a code of conduct a ethical code, a moral code that we need to abide by in order to cooperate with one another. And there are also sacrifices that have to be made by every single party. If one party doesn't make a sacrifice and demands everybody else follow their way, their path, their perspective, then guess what? It's called tyranny. And we literally rebelled against England I'm sorry, that's a, that's a really common line. Oh, we rebelled against England to stop tyranny. So you've heard that a million, a million times. But I'm going to move on from this article because it, it expounded way beyond where I actually wanted it to go, even though I thought it was a very productive conversation. So let's jump to our second article. It's going to be a, a very, very quick one, and it comes from Just the News. Lawmakers demand John Hopkins fire official who declared whites, Christians, and males privileged. So you may hear that headline, and you're like, oh my goodness, that either, you're going to have two perspectives. It depend, well, there's multiple perspectives, but there are going to be two prominent perspectives in the American culture. Either one, wow, that person is unhinged, and they need to check themselves, or the other, pers- the other perspective is, yeah, yeah, I, kinda, I kind of agree, those, those people got some privilege. So you're going to come down on one side or the other. I'm going to come down on the side that, no, not not really. And even even if you believe that as a professor, as a person who is supposed to espouse their opinion, don't get me wrong, but are you really supposed to possibly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, ostracize half your class? Because probably half of your class is at least white, Christian, or male. So are you really going to ostracize them simply for characteristics that they can't change about themselves? at least when it comes to their race and their gender. Now, uh, Christians, eh, that, that is a choice to some degree. But, and let's be clear, males, they would say nowadays, it's, you know, you could actually choose to be something different. But when it comes down to your innate biology, you are a male, so you can't necessarily change that about yourself. So let's get past my little rantings and get into a quote from the article. Quote, a lawmaker in Congress is demanding John Hopkins Medicine fire a diversity officer after she sent a monthly diversity digest email to staff members with an attached letter that claimed all white people, Christians, and men are privileged. Doctor, I don't want to actually dox this person. 
The person, the diversity officer, also included heterosexuals and English speakers in a privileged category, according to the New York Post. She eventually apologized. So, um, I, I think there's actually one point I agree with. Yes, English speakers are privileged in this society. And what do I mean by privilege in this specific case? They have advantages that other people don't have. Yeah, that's fair. If you do not speak English in this environment, yes, you're going to be disadvantaged to everybody else that does speak English. But also, that's how we've specifically structured. Now, I won't even say specifically structured our society. That's just how it is. That is the nature of America. America speaks English. That is the reality. Almost everybody here that grows up in America learns English, speaks English, because it is the dominant language that we grew up with. It is the language of historical document. All of our documents are in English, so to translate all of them would be a pain in the butt. But also, I think this holds true going into the future. If Spanish becomes the second language or a more dominant language in the United States, then you should learn English. Just like if I lived in Italy, I should learn Italian. You have to adapt to the reality on the ground. So yes, are certain people who don't speak English disadvantaged? Yes, they are. Maybe they should learn to speak English. Just like I said, if I lived in China, I would not expect everybody to bend to my will. No, the society has norms, and this goes back to exactly what I was talking about a minute ago. There are norms that we set up within our societies, and the norm in China is you speak Mandarin. The norm in France is you speak French. The norm in Italy is you speak Italian. The norm in America, just like it is in England, just like it is in Canada, is you speak English. So, does that mean that all her other claims are legitimate? Just because we're white, or just because you're male, or just because you're Christian, or just because you're heterosexual, do you have privilege? Um, no, no. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, do you innately have an advantage because you're any of those things? No. Just like you don't inherently have a disadvantage if you are black, if you are gay, if you are a, a Satanist. We have created a system in America, and we, we are always aspiring to be better at this, but we have, for the most part, a system in America that is meant to honor the people who put in the work. We created a legal framework to protect every characteristic that is inherent to a person, to make sure that there is no discrimination based on any of those characteristics. And then, from there... We look at the natural advantages that people have, and we also look at the work and hard effort, or hard work and effort, that people put in. So, at the end of the day, her claims fall on their face, in my opinion. And she is probably going to face the repercussions because of it. Do I think she deserves to lose her job? No, she, she has the, opinion, the right to say whatever she wants to say. And if John Hopkins wants to keep her on, go right ahead. But this pressure from Congress to get rid of her, I think that's absolutely idiotic. Now, that's government trying to put his fingers on the scale. But that, that's just my opinion on that one. I don't care what the opinion is. I don't like government interference in anything. Now, if the alumni or the people currently going there, they want to outrage, they want to pull their dollars, and they want to use the free market system in order to get her out, sure, there we go. 
So we're going to jump to our last article, which comes from Daily Wire, and it's talking about the VP for President Trump, and it's saying, I'll read the headline, Trump considers Elise Stefanik for VP report the Daily Wire. Uh, Now, Elise Stefanik, will she make a great VP? Mm, I, I honestly don't know. I don't think that her record's honestly the best on on most things. I think if it's going for the diversity angle where, oh, yes, we're going to have a woman as a VP, I think that's going to fall flat on its face. I don't think the Trump voters necessarily care about that. I don't think it's going to bring along people that are like the suburban moms because maybe it did with Pence in the past when Trump was an unknown entity. Uh, as one of the Daily Wire hosts says, Trump is a known entity. Uh, sorry, that's it. Ben Shapiro. He says that a lot. And same with uh, Crystal Ball and same with Sager from Crystal and Sager. Or even Kyle Klinsky has said it at certain points. Trump is a known quantity. They know, everybody knows what they're getting with Donald Trump. So to pretend as though a putting a woman on the ticket or putting an evangelist on the ticket or any other set of diversity... I don't think it's going to sway that many people. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is going to be a huge pull. Oh, the suburban moms absolutely love Elise Stefanik. I don't think that would be the person to go for, even if they wanted to get the suburban moms, but it is what it is. I think this report is going to end up looking stupid in the future. I don't think that he'll choose her for VP. I think he's going to go with somebody who is within the same MAGA realm just because he doesn't want the same thing to happen with Mike Pence. So she falls within that category, but she's also gotten a little bit of a more name ID, and I don't remember who I'm stealing this idea idea from, but I don't think he's going to get somebody that could outshine him or at least even be on the same level as him. And she's not quite there, but she does have more name recognition, especially after her lambasting of some of the uh, head executives at the universities when they came into Congress. So I don't think that one's going to pan out, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So let's jump to our daily delight. And this one comes from Parade Pets. Cats who love to go sledding with dad is such a total boss. So, you know, uh, cats sledding? Really? I, you know, dog sledding, that, that seems on brand. Cats sledding? I don't necessarily think so, but maybe maybe some of the dog traits rubbed off on this cat, or maybe this cat is just really, really adventurous. Quote, on January 16th, TikTok user Camper and Leo, at Camper and Leo, shared a video of their cat who isn't like the other cats. This one loves to adventure, loves the cold air, and sledding. Take a look. And it is an absolutely adorable video. Uh, the... <laughs> The mom kind of plays along with the cat for there for a second. It's kind of like the intro to everything going on there. So if you want to check out that video or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine and the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.